Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, personal besties. Welcome back to Live Your Personal Best. If you didn't check out Earlier this week's episode, my book, Elite to Everyday Athlete, is officially published, and so who better to bring on the podcast this week than someone who's actually featured in the book? So today, we are joined by Daryl Stinson. He is a former Division I football player, and then when he went through this huge transition out of sports, of having to leave before going to the NFL, he hit his rock bottom. And so I really love him telling his story because he motivates others on how they can pull out of their rock bottom, on how to take second chances, and for not settling for less than your best. And so I love today's conversation with him. You're going to feel so lit up and passionate after listening to his story. And then if you're interested and want to read even more about it, then be sure to check out the book, Elite to Everyday Athlete. It's out now. And you'll hear from other athletes like him, along with others from every range of athlete from high school, intramurals, all the way to Olympians. So link is right down in the show notes. And I hope that you enjoy today's episode. What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Welcome back, guys. Today, we are joined by Daryl Stinson. He is a former Division I athlete who battled multiple challenges in his youth, including violence, drug addiction, and attempted suicide. Now, he's the CEO of Second Chance Athletes and the author of Who Am I After Sports, which I ended up reading while researching for my own book, and I loved his story. was so inspired by it, so I'm so excited that you're joining us today, Daryl. I feel awesome. I just want to know, did you quote me in your book? Say yes. I did. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> what, what, what part? It's all about finding passion after because you had this quote and you're like, just because I don't love anything more than sports doesn't mean that I can't love anything more than sports. And just yeah. talking about trying to be a beginner again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I remember so not only part. did I read it, I quote it. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good. I always like to see what resonates with people to work it into my presentations. And I just always am curious to how we connect because you never know what pieces of your journey or your story people will connect to. Yeah, definitely. So I'm pretty familiar with your story, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what your transition was like um, and kind of like how you left football. So like many other people growing up, like sports was everything I wanted to do with my life. And I came from a a community, a low income community. And so there's like this unspoken pressure that, oh, you're going to be the one that makes it and like gives a bunch of money back to the city and helps everybody get out of poverty. Like you're going to be the hero. And so I, I was, you know, endeavoring to do that and uh, played at Central Michigan University, got a full ride scholarship to play both football and basketball there, but only ended up playing football. 
uh, because I killed my red shirt there. And then coaches were like, you're not playing basketball. Sorry. I was like, dang it. So yeah, I mean, just had a, a, a fun career. I, I played my freshman year and then um, I was trying to one day impress upperclassmen with how much I can squat. And then ultimately ruptured a disc in my back. And I didn't know the difference between being hurt and being injured. And so I thought I was hurt, but I actually was injured and needed rehabilitation and wasn't something that I should have been playing through. And once I got it checked out, I had to have emergency surgery because I had had a pinched nerve for so many months that my left leg was going to go paralyzed. So that was going to be the end of my career. There was another gentleman on our team a year before that who had the same surgery. He tried to come back. He didn't last a day even after rehab. And he was like one of those locker room warriors, strong guys. So they were like, nah, since uh, you, you have a really golden opportunity, you can, we'll still honor your scholarship. So your college is paid for, and you can focus on school and you can come around football whenever you want, but they didn't understand that sports was not what I did. It was who I was, as you know. And uh, I, I begged them uh, to uh, uh, allow me another chance to come back and play after my surgery. And uh, they did. Uh, I had a side on liability waiver, but ultimately was able to come back and play and earn a starting position within six months of, of back surgery. Yeah. So that's like, you know, definition of an athlete, like I'm going to play through the hurt. I'm going to play through just so, you know, you can try to reach that goal, reach that dream that you had for so many years. You know, you're playing through this injury, ultimately you know couldn't play through that forever so what did it look like when you did have to leave for good and no longer compete yeah well number one it was kind of like although I was physically able to compete and I always say me hurt was better than the next guy fully healthy but everybody could tell it just wasn't the same you know and I never got the rehabilitation I needed because they needed me on the field to play and I wasn't going to pass up an opportunity uh, to help my team win a championship, especially after we had just come off a championship game. And so it's it's like we still had this great team. And so I wanted to be a part of our, our next championship run. And so I, that's that's why I came back so soon is I, I really just wanted to be a part of the culture and contribute to another championship. So but everyone kind of knew I wasn't really all the way healthy. And I say this because I know that there's people that if they're, if they're in college, there's always this, this tension of rushing back to play before you're fully healthy. And that's what I did. It was, it never really peaked. Like, it wasn't like I was a star and then I had to hit rock bottom again. It was just always like, well, Daryl's fascinating to watch and he's better than the guy, but he probably shouldn't be out there playing because his back's messed up. Like bad back Daryl, broke back Daryl's, you know, all these jokes going around. And uh, our coach used to make this super lame joke about my back. Well, Eventually, uh, I started to use opioids uh, and I started to sell drugs to cover the cost of my medical expenses. And this like selling drugs, using drugs and playing sports and going to classes was just a, a spiral, a blur. So for two years, that was what my life was like. I had got a really bad back spasm one day and my roommate, Steve Winston, had to literally carry me to the hospital room because I could not stand all the way up to walk that's how bad my back was spazzing and so he carries me in they end up giving me a, a steroid pain shot in my back 
And because I couldn't see my specialist until whatever date he was available, they gave me these pills that were steroid pills, pain pills, and was the liquid that he gave me in pill form is what I'm trying to say. And so they gave me that. I think there was about 12, 13 of them. And I used like one. And then I just got through on some stuff I got off the street. And then I would take one of those steroid pain pills uh, before every game that we had. And I started having these nosebleeds during games all the time. You know, I got a sack or not sack. I got a quarterback rush on him like the first play. And then I like got a TFL and I was just terrorizing. Like I was on my A game and then I just stopped. Well, what happened was that my nose started bleeding. They plugged nose plugs in my nose and I was running around the game only being able to breathe out my mouth. And it was terrible. And so uh, I just kind of survived <laughs> the rest of the game. And it's that happened a lot. And then it spilled over to practice. And then coaches were like, we know you, whatever you're doing, we're going to get in big trouble. So we can't allow you to do this stuff. And going into my senior year, they kicked me off the team. And I was faced, like uh, many other athletes in transition, to figure out what was next for me. And I had pissed away my education because I didn't apply myself in school. I knew how to pass tests and I knew how to cheat and I knew how to get favors from the teacher. So I, I had the right degree, but I didn't really know the information. So I wasn't ready for the workforce yet. And then there was this underlying frustration that even if I could be successful at something else, I didn't want to do some, um, be successful at anything else. Sports was like my passion and what I felt like was my purpose. And so that started all this like feelings of depression, not just because I lost the sport, but because I didn't think there was anything better to replace it. Like I wasn't happy with just making six figures or like being a successful whatever. I wanted to love to wake up and do my day like I did when I would play sports and not having that was depressing. And plus, I started to notice a lot of people who, when I was starting and playing, were always texting me, emailing me, hitting me up. And when I wasn't playing, they, 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 I didn't hear from them. It was like I didn't exist. So I'm like, see, people don't care about me. They only care about my athletic talent. And, you know, that's when I really started to, to battle those thoughts of suicide. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. But I love what you said, too, of like you weren't ready, like you were still enjoying what you were doing. Like, yes, you were going through crazy lengths just to play football, but it was still what you wanted to do. It's still what you were right. expecting to do. And to especially leave on something that's not your own terms, it, it definitely carries into that next phase of your life, too. For sure. For sure. You're exactly right. And so, yeah. And I know I know it's a struggle because I've talked to athletes and I worked with athletes and you wrote a book, I wrote the book, but I think that's where, I think that's a, a, a piece of it that makes me different. You know, I read a lot of transition books, all of them have their pros and cons or whatever. But the one thing I always tell people, like, if, you, if you're not satisfied with your current life being second best to your former life as an athlete, like if your glory days was really back then and not in front of you, like if you really think that it's all downhill from my athletic career, I'll never feel as fulfilled, as energized, as excited as I once was like that. That's my lane because I could not live with that emotional, with that mindset. I needed it in my life. I needed my career to, to give me the desire to want to wake up like I did when I 
had that alarm go off and I knew they were about to mud us at 5.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I needed that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's where you felt the best. And I definitely know, you know, that ambitious drive of an athlete. And then it's like, where do I apply that next? So you're Mm -hmm. at this place of, you know, kind of like being at a rock bottom. How did you start to kind of like pull yourself out of there and start with this transition? When I was in a psychiatric care facility, I remember talking to a couple of the other residents or patients there. And I I thought that all of this had happened because like I was supposed to like be there for other people. I know this is crazy. And I was just trying to talk to people and see like who needs my advice, you know, Uh, because I still wasn't really recognizing the depths of what happened, you know, and um, somebody said to me, I think it was my actual roommate. He was a former military vet who had PTSD. He was like, has it ever occurred to you that maybe you're in here for you? And I was like, no. (laughs) And so it was a really, but it made me think, right? And so I started to think about that. And and, and then I'm like, man, and I, I started to think about all these suicide attempts I survived. And I started to think about like, what what is out there for me and it gave me this hope that like something it has to be something like i don't know what it is yet but it has to be something i don't know where to find it but it has to be something i don't know who to ask but somebody can help me like i just had this hope that empowered me to go find it and so then i for like my next couple of years of my life i was going to the library i was reading books like uh, victor franco's man search for meaning i was studying every major world religion I was like going to leadership conferences and webinars. I mean, like I was just professional development, spiritual development, like on steroids for like years. And um, I got to this place to where I understood purpose in a way that that gave me a perspective that brought about mental stability. And then I also had started to get some traction down a path that I knew could make a huge impact on the world. And then the only problem then was that I had this insecurity, as you mentioned, from from starting at the bottom, which was me. So I I, I say, you know, my my purpose is is why I do a thing. It's not what I do. Right. So a lot of times people say, go find your purpose. And what what they think it is, you got to find a job. And I'm like, no, the job may change. The purpose is still intact. So I, I made that distinction. Okay. I, I, I made that separation. And then I was like, man, well, well, now I got to actually, you know, find different ways to express this purpose. And so public speaking was like the main one tugging at my heart. And people were already asking me to share their story. But as you know, because you read the book, I, I sucked. <laughs> I couldn't put two sentences together. I was so insecure. Like, even on the field, I was never the vocal leader guy. I was always just like, I'll lead by example. I used to hate speaking in front of people so much that when we did icebreakers and everybody introduced themselves to the room, I would fake like I had to go to the bathroom so that they would skip me. And by the time I come back, I wouldn't have to speak. So I tell people to say that, you know, just because you're not good at a thing doesn't mean that you're not called to a thing. And a lot of athletes are like that, man. They forgot what it's like to to be an amateur at something. I talk to them all the time. You know, they got a secure job. They're working sales. They got a nine to five, whatever. But you can tell there's something else in their heart that they want to do and pursue. But they're like, 
I don't know, man. And they don't, they say like, it's, they, they say it's, it's, it's time or they say it's money or they say it's whatever excuse they come up with. But when we really dig every single time, it's never any of those things. It's always the fact that they're just a little insecure about it. Like they're not good at it. And they, and they tell themselves, well, I'm questioning if I should do it. And I, that's why I always step into them and I challenge them when I coach them. I say, are you discerning? Or are you running? <laughs> you know, are you are, are you really seeking clarity or are you avoiding? Those are two different things. And so 9.9 times out of 10, they're, they're avoiding it. And um, they, they just haven't. So I had to start doing that. And so how did I do? I just started. I started saying yes to the things I was saying no to. So when I was like, oh, dear, will you come share your story to the you know, little team? Come talk to the team, do a chapel service, do this. I'm like, yes. And I did it and I did it scared and I did it and I did it bad. And I did it and I did it poorly and I didn't get invited back. And everybody loved me, but I was bombing this. <laughs> I was just like doing terrible. And um, I just started to get better, read books, do all the stuff that we know to do as athletes to grow in a crowd. I started to do that. And, and then I'll never forget. I had a speaking engagement. I can't tell you which one it was, but I remember the feeling, the feeling that I had was like, there used to be like, I need seven months to prepare. I need to memorize word for word so I don't forget. I need seven pages of notes in case I finish like 15 minutes early and have nothing to say. Like I need all this, these cushions and these crutches. And I never forget having a speaking engagement and being like, I don't need anything. Like I got this. And I was like, whoa. Now I like doing this, <laughs> like, like, you know, there was a time when you tell me to do this on this podcast, I'd be like, no way, you know, I look funny, I da, da, da. Mm -hmm. and now I'm like, let's go, let's go, you know, and that energy shift is everything, and on top of that, now I'm making an impact, what I believe is far greater than I ever could have made had I stayed on a different path, right, and, and, and I'm, I'm at peace with that, and I love it. Yeah, no, I love that, especially you know, where it all stems from is this insecurity. Cause I think that a lot of times that's what we kind of like push back. We're like, okay, like we finished that one part of our life. Now let's get the job. And, you know, you saw that people might not be satisfied with just that, but it's the insecurity of, well, now I'm a beginner again, bottom of the totem pole and trying to like work our way right. back up. I can definitely relate to that story, you know, of when you started the public speaking, it's like, okay, when does everything feel like it's going to click again? It takes a while. And some people are uh, scared to even go down a path because it might ruin their reputation or whatever. Like, think about this, like think about Michael Jordan and how he went from basketball to baseball, you know, even though he's still arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, there's still a group of people out there that, only remember him because of his quote unquote failure in baseball, which wasn't a failure. It just wasn't like he, he didn't become the Michael Jordan of baseball, which is like, <laughs> like such an unre unrealistic expectation. And, um, uh, golly, I was, I was going somewhere with this. And yeah, no, it's just kind of like, you don't have to be the MVP of like every project you pick up and it doesn't have to turn into, you know, your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so like, he was willing to do that. And, and I think, I think that people fear 
because there's something at stake. So Michael Jordan could have lost brand equity in Jordan. You know, he lost followers, fans, supporters, because now they see his weaknesses and not just his strengths. They see him striking out and not just him hitting game winners, you know? And uh, some people, although they don't have Michael Jordan brand, they've got, I, I just, I just talked to a client. Um, I do these discovery sessions where I help them kind of find what that, that purpose is beyond sports. So I, I dealt, she was an Olympic, a former Olympian. And she, I'm trying not to say too much, but she, she's, she has a successful career now. And uh, as a former Olympian, but she, she, she had the session because she felt like there was more. So at the end of the session, we found that there is more, there is, there is more, and there is more in her heart to do. And so we, we talked about doing that and she didn't want to suck at something <laughs> and ruin the, the, her credibility that she has in another industry. And so ultimately she didn't move forward, which is disheartening to me because to me, purpose isn't about climbing a ladder and winning a trophy. Purpose is about impacting people. It's about showing people the greatness inside of them. And so when, 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 when Emily doesn't choose to write her book, people who would have read it suffered yeah. because there's people who are going to read your book because you say it in a way because your branding is different, whatever. That'll never read mine, even though I believe mine is the best. <laughs> I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, using, I'm using sarcasm, I <laughs> but you get the point. So yeah. I, I listen, I really believe this. Mm-hmm. I really do. This is not like cliche heartstring say good things that sound all right. You know, this isn't what we say about our teammates when they interview us after the game. You know, we always got to say everybody gave it the best. And then we go in the locker room like you suck, you know, like, so this isn't that. This is me truly being passionate about what I'm saying and telling you, I really believe that when everybody listening to this fulfills their role, lives their best authentic life, that is how we show the world its greatness. And I'm saying that because I because it's new language for me. I used to say so that we can change the world. And then I realized something that I believe that we don't live in a world of not enough. I don't believe we live in a world of just enough. I believe we live in a world of more than enough. I believe there's more than enough money, more than enough jobs, more than enough oxygen, more than enough economy, like more than enough friendships, more than enough peace to, to go around that none of us should live in lack unless we so desire. And so there's nothing wrong with the world. What's, what's wrong with the world, quote unquote, is the way we see it. What's wrong with the world is the way that we're not working together. And so we just have to show the world its greatness. And, and that's, that's what I'm endeavoring to do. I love that. I, I like feel more passionate and like more directed just by hearing you talk about it. Um, yeah. I know that all fit together mm-hmm. and you're a part of that, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I've loved this whole conversation. I would love to quickly though, learn a little bit more about second chance athletes and kind of what your yeah. mission with that is. <laughs> uh, we give former and forgotten athletes a second chance to succeed in life without the demands of sports through coaching courses and community. And so these are things that help athletes um, live out their best life. And then the best part is we were running as an LLC for three years. Last year, 
it might have been two years ago now. I don't know. I feel like we've been waiting for so long. We we became a nonprofit. So now we're able to help in a in a different, more powerful way, I believe, because of grant funding. Yeah, that's awesome. It's amazing what you're doing. I love all of your work. Is there any one last piece of advice that you'd love to leave everyone with today? Don't settle for the applause of people. I, I think from my experience, I always lived for the applause and and didn't even know it. What I want people to know is oftentimes as athletes and high achievers, what our potential is something that usually only we know the fullness of. And we can get away with giving 70% effort in life and receiving major applause from people. They might give us awards. We might get promoted in the company. We might get bonuses. We might gain social media followers. We might get brand sponsorships. But the goal isn't to get the applause from people. The goal is to reach your full potential. And don't let success call you to settle for less than your best. Because that's what I did. As a D-line who is a a D-lineman who was a track athlete as well, I should have ran with the smaller training group for conditioning. But I didn't. I would rather be the front of the crowd amongst the slowest people of the team than to be in the middle of the crowd amongst some of the fastest. But I left, I robbed me of my fulfillment because I always knew when people say, look at him, he's the best, run like him, that they were all, they were, they didn't know that I wasn't giving it everything I have. So if that's you, don't settle for the applause of people, always level up because of what you see inside. I love that. Thank you for leaving us with it. Where can everyone find you, follow you, find out more? Everywhere. I'm Googleable. number one. Number two, uh, at Stinson Speaks on Instagram. And then wherever else, um, who am I after sports is the book. So just connect. If there's any way I can serve, I'm, I'm, down. I'm down. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for tuning in today. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this conversation, then I know that you would love the book Elite to Everyday Athlete. It's available on Amazon, on Barnes and Nobles. Just search in Elite to Everyday Athlete. See you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.